going to look at and learn from another church, the church at Antioch here in, in Acts chapter 11, not because it's the perfect church, not because it's the model church, or we're trying to be just like this church, but there are some helpful lessons that we can learn from this growing and going congregation. And I hope that that'll be evident this morning. From this small band of persecuted refugees emerges this vibrant, healthy, uh, large, growing church. And that's, that's the church in Antioch. But what does Dr. Luke, the human author of Acts, what does he attribute all of that to? Is it clever, clever marketing strategies or, or just excellence in programming or the ideal cultural climate in which, you know, just the, all the circumstances just worked out? No. What does he say in verse 21? We read this. The hand of the Lord was with them. It was God's hand. It was God's doing. The church, the the, the power was not from them, it was from God. And so the church in Antioch grew and became strong and became this mighty missionary force because the Lord's hand of blessing was upon them. And that's what we want on us. And, And that said, God's hand was with them as they devoted themselves to the work of the gospel. It wasn't that they just kind of sat back and idly watched and waited to see what God was going to do and, you know, just... God bless us and, and then we'll just watch. No, that wasn't it at all. They're, they're active in evangelism and discipleship and, and teaching the scriptures and they're praying and they're planning and they're going and they're sending and they're giving. And God's powerful hand of blessing is upon them. And, and you see the evidence of that. And they become this frontier charging missionary launching pad. And, and, and it's from here that the, first, the church launches its first mission to Europe. So you could say, we would not be Christians, humanly speaking. This church would not exist if it were not for the Lord's hand being on this church at Antioch as they devoted themselves to God's work. And so we want to be a church on whom the hand of the Lord is pleased to rest. We want His blessing. And, and, and I'm not suggesting that if we do these things, do this, do that, do that, then we'll force God's hand and He's got to bless us. That's not it. And I'm not saying that, that, that uh, 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 the Lord is not with, His hand is not upon small churches who never see you know, large numerical growth. That's not my point. I'm just saying if we're not characterized by these marks, we can't expect to see the Lord's hand of blessing upon us as a church. And so with that in mind, let's look at some of these marks of a church that enjoys the hand of God's blessing on it. The first one is this. The church that God blesses, it it involves every person in God's cause, in His mission. Verse 19, look at it with me again. And now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Now let me... Give you a little background here. I think it's important. So the, the broader context, Jesus came, he died, he rose again, he ascended. And that, that period of time between his resurrection and his ascension, he's, in, in that period of time, he spent time with his disciples and then he just unleashed them on the world. And so they started in Jerusalem and they received the Holy Spirit and they were, they were given the gift of tongues. And so they're speaking. They have all these pilgrims from all over the world that are there in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And, and you have these, these, these 
uh, first disciples who are speaking in the languages of the people. And, and there's all this commotion. And so then Peter gets up in the midst of all of this and all, all of this uh, chaos. And, and he explains to the crowd exactly what's happening. And he tells the people and proclaims the fact of who Jesus is, that he died, that he rose again. And he calls people to believe in Christ. And on that day, there were, text says, 3,000 souls added. Later on in Acts 4, the, the church in Jerusalem is continuing to grow. And it, it says that there were 5,000 men in the church. So if you add in women and children, you, we're talking about a church of 10, 15, maybe 20,000 people in Jerusalem. That's a mega church even by today's standards. And, and, and so then the, then the government, though, the local leaders, they start cracking down. They, they're clamping down on the church. And this is this fast-growing church, and they're, they're trying to put pressure on it. So they begin to throw believers in prison. And they even kill, they murder one of the church's uh, first leaders, Stephen. It's in Acts 7. So, these, so this sends believers out. These newish Christians then are scattered around because of this persecution throughout that part of the world. And that's where we are in this text. These Christians, mostly Jewish background believers, they're flung out into the world telling others, mostly Jews, about Jesus. And so that's verse 19. Look at verse 20 then. But there were some of them who weren't Jewish background believers. And, uh, and, and they, they, these men of Cyprus, that Mediterranean island that many of us know about uh, because of some folks that we know that have served there. And Cyrene, which is modern-day Libya, who on coming to Antioch, now Antioch, I should have said this, is north of Israel, about 250, 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And, and it's a very southern part of what's today is Turkey. Uh, so this was Antioch of Syria at that time. But so, so these men of Cyprus and Cyrene, they came to Antioch and they spoke to the Hellenists also. Not just the Jews, but spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And so just look at the birth of this church at Antioch. It wasn't founded by the apostles or trained professional missionaries. Instead, some unnamed men fling persecution just began talking about Jesus. Not just to the Jews, but to Gentiles, to these Greeks, telling them the good news about Christ. They, 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 it says that they preached the Lord Jesus, or they, but first it says they spoke to the Hellenists. That, that speak, spoke, it's just, it's just a word for normal conversation. They're not preaching in some formal capacity, standing behind a wooden lectern and uh, pounding the pulpit. That's not it. They're, they're just in their everyday contacts. They open their mouths. They talk about Christ, talking to people about Jesus. We don't know their names, and it doesn't really matter. I think that's intentional. I, clearly, Luke knew who these, probably knew who these people were. He was probably from Antioch and, and had plenty of contacts there. He knows where they're from, so he probably knew their names, but he doesn't share them because it doesn't matter. It shows us God doesn't need the professionals. He doesn't need celebrities. He doesn't need uh, professional missionaries to advance his cause. He uses normal people like you and me doing normal things like talking about Jesus in our normal lives. These nameless, faceless disciples. They simply met the Lord Jesus and they wanted others to know about him. And so we can do what they did, brothers and sisters. This is, this is what we are to do. Evangelism isn't the work of some super spiritual, you know, higher class of Christians. Somebody defined evangelism simply like this. Evangelism is two nervous people talking to each other. <laughs> uh, 
but we all, we all have the opportunity to, to speak, to converse, to talk with others about the good news of Christ in the context of the relationships he's given us. And that's, that's how this church started. Evangelism isn't a, it's not a program of the church. It's, it's, it's what each one of us does every time we leave this gathering. It's what we're, we, we gather for worship. We scatter for witness. That's, that's how it should be. We, we need, brothers and sisters, a surge of gospel proclamation from this body to this community. There are thousands and thousands of people all around us who do not know Christ, do not have a relationship and have no hope beyond this world. I mean, just, I just, you look, I encourage you to do this. Make, maybe this is part of your praying. I know this could be full of distractions, but just get Google Maps open and look at the satellite view and just stop on the church and begin to expand it out. Look a mile radius, two miles radius, three miles radius, four miles radius, and you start to see there are these vast tracts of homes and apartment complexes and just within a short distance from this church. And, I'm, and there are many believers that are, God has his people throughout there. But this, this is our field. Uh, we, need, we, need, we should be burdened for that. But beyond that, not just around the church building, that's not the focal point, but wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you go to school, wherever you recreate, wherever... Wherever you shop, this is, this is where you're to be speaking about Jesus. And so, so this is the first thing. The, the church that God blesses, it's going to be one that involves every single person in God's mission. It's not just a few selected ones. Second, church that God's hand of blessing rests upon. It, it, it's, it's a church that leads with the gospel as the power of God to save sinners. Now, it helps, again, if we understand some things about Antioch. This is the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was behind only Rome and Alexandria. So this is their Chicago. You know, behind New York City and Los Angeles, you have Chicago here. This, this is this them. Is, this is, it was the center of business and trade. It was this crossroad, major crossroads for travel between Europe and Asia. And so major leading city in the Roman Empire. But it was also a city that was known for gross sexual immorality. Um, worshippers of their, their idols, Artemis and Apollos, they would, they would gather in this grove of Daphne and they would, they would uh, worship these gods and these sick and twisted and perverted practices with temple prostitutes. And, and they had this reputation. They were known for this kind of thing, though. And so it's in this immoral, pagan environment that ordinary Christians began telling the simple message that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that if, you, if whoever believes in him uh, should not perish but have eternal life and receive this gift of forgiveness. So they start simply saying this message in that context. They're simply, as the text says, preaching the Lord Jesus, proclaiming him, talking about him, telling the good news about Christ. The good news, the gospel is that what? What is the gospel? It's that God sent his son into this world out of his love for sinners. And we're all sinners. And Jesus was tempted to sin just like we are, and yet he never, ever sinned. He was perfect in every way. He lived a perfect life, and yet he was punished for our sins and died as our substitute. But God raised him from the dead on the third day, guaranteeing that all who believe in him can have life, eternal life. That's the message 
they proclaim, that we proclaim. And the same gospel that was the power of God to save those religious Jews in Jerusalem is the same gospel that's the power of God to save these hedonistic, immoral, pagan, ungodly Gentiles as well. Same message. The gospel is powerful enough to save primitive cannibals in South American jungle, and it's, and it's powerful enough to save the Ivy League you know, professor in, in, this, in this country. Whatever the culture, whatever the background, whatever the, whatever the education level, whatever the age, people are all sinners and need to know how to be reconciled to God, and it's the gospel that is that message, and it's powerful. And we see it evidenced here. If we will be faithful to tell that simple message to the people that come into our lives and across our paths, God can put his hand upon us and bless us with a fruitful harvest of souls for the glory of his own name. We've got to be faithful. It's the gospel that changed, that changed Antioch. It's the gospel that changes rebel hearts today. It's the gospel that can change your own life. And, and many of us have been radically changed and continue to be changed by this gospel, and you can be too. You trust in him. So God's, God's hand, his favor, his blessing will, will rest upon the church that, that is gospel-centered, is gospel-proclaiming. The most important part about this local church is not some program, it's not our music, no offense, Patrick, it's not, it's not our building, it's not our lighting, which you know we have in this room and will be new soon, and we're excited about that, but those are not the important things. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is our lifeblood. That's what's got to be pumping through our veins. That's what keeps us going. It's the flag that we fly. It's the banner that we raise. That's, that's what's front and center for us. It's got to stay that way. Can't move away from that. That's a, that's a church that God would be pleased to bless. And so, 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 the, so the, gospel, the, the church that God blesses, it leads with the gospel. It's the power of God to save sinners. Third, church that God blesses with his hand of, of, of favor is, is one that, re, that mirrors or reflects the diversity of its community. So you had Antioch, and it's got this unique position as this, as this major crossroads between east and west, and it's incredibly diverse. You had, you had Romans and Syrians and Jews and Africans and Islanders all in this city together. So different ethnicities, different cultures, different backgrounds and languages. And so when the gospel spread there, though, they didn't just go to the synagogue where the Jews were. And to talk to them, they also talked to the Hellenists. The Hellenists are the non-ethnic Greeks who embraced Greek culture, Greek language, and, and etc. And, so, 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 and, and these Hellenists, they responded by believing in Christ and turning from their idolatries. And so this was the, the big headline in the Jerusalem, uh, in the Jerusalem Journal-Constitution after this church uh, uh, was birthed in Antioch. It was this. There aren't two churches there. There's one. Jew and Gentile together. And people, minds blown. How is that even possible? And so this throws the Jerusalem church for a loop here. And this is why later we'll see, just a moment, they send Barnabas to go check things out there. This is just this is mind-blowing to them. And so Antioch, it's, it's this wonderfully, it's this diverse city. And, and the church at Antioch, it reflected that diversity. That pleases the Lord. That magnifies the power of the gospel. 
to, when, when that's true in any setting. And I just, again, we know this, and we talk about this, talked about this last week where we were in Jonah 4, but this church is wonderfully located at, in a sense, a crossroads in our own, in our own context, a very diverse area, and ethnically, culturally, age, socioeconomically, educationally, politically. The more Baraka Bible Church mirrors and reflects the diversity of this community as, as, as people come to know Christ and grow in Him, the more we will reflect the grace and the power of God. So, I, I, I know I can I, I know the objections, and there's and we can't it can't happen. It won't happen. It's too difficult, and we've got to fight the unbelief that says things like that. Yes, we acknowledge it's incredibly complicated, and and it's there are no quick and easy solutions if that's what we were looking for there are very challenging factors but we must put more confidence in god than in the obstacles we see and so we, we've got to we've got to fight the fear that we have of the unknown and we've got to fight that tendency in our hearts toward rigidity and an unwillingness to change of saying things and having the attitude like well yes others are welcome to come in here and be like us and do like us uh, but we won't change but we're happy for them to adjust to us that's that's not going to work so we've got to, again, the church that God blesses, the church upon his, which his hand of favor rests, it's going to be one that reflects that diversity. Fourth, church that God's hand of favor rests on is one that grows in the fertile soil of grace, not legalism. It's kind of a chaotic thing happening in Antioch. No one's really directing it. No one's guiding it. The, the Spirit is directing this thing. And, and so news of this chaos reaches the church at Jerusalem. And so it seems there's this, there's this note of concern that the Jerusalem church has in their decision to send Barnabas to Antioch and to check on things. So it's like word travels to Jerusalem. Have you heard what's happening in Antioch? Uh, no, what? Well, a bunch of laymen are sharing Christ and... And with these pagan Gentiles, and guess what? They're they're coming to faith in Jesus, and they're and they're worshiping together, Jews and Gentiles, and and as one church. And so these alarms just start blaring in Jerusalem, and you know, red lights flashing, and ah, what do we got to do? So they they say somebody's got to go and and check this out. And so it's it's one thing when you have somebody like a God fearing Gentile like Cornelius who comes to Christ to be a Christian through the through the uh, uh, through, through Peter, the leading apostle Peter's ministry. That's one thing. But here, this is different. You have these raw pagans from a notoriously immoral and, and a place like Antioch, and they're coming into the church through the witness of a bunch of no-names. This is different. And so it's time for somebody from the mother church, Jerusalem, to go and, and make sure things are in order. So they send Barnabas. Why Barnabas? I don't know. I have a guess, because he was the one that said, pick me, put me in, coach, I'll go. I mean, of whatever else we know of Barnabas, I mean, this seems like something he would be all for. Um, and so he's the son of encouragement. That's what his name means. And so maybe Barnabas, and, and I don't doubt that as he went, he, was, he may have been urged by some of the circumcision party that we know from other places. They, he's, yeah, Barnabas, you make sure you get things under control there. He probably had some warnings but notice what Barnabas saw how he responded when he set foot in Antioch verse 23 when he came and saw the grace of God 
he said, hey, we need to rein this thing in and stop it. (laughs) No. When he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. He was glad. I'm sure there were people from the circumcision party that if they went in Barnabas' place, they might have seen something else and responded in a different way. They may have seen Jews and Gentiles eating together with no regard for the ceremonial aspects of the law and those, those restrictions, and they might have been offended or repulsed. But Barnabas was a man who lived by God's grace. So when he saw the grace of God, which you can't really see, you can see its effects though, he rejoiced, he's glad. And so what, is, what, what was it that demonstrated that these former pagan idolaters were truly born again? It, it wasn't their strict adherence to Jewish regulations and laws. It was the Spirit's work of grace in them. The graces of the Spirit were present. Love for God, love for one another. And these things were very clear to Barnabas. I'm sure there was a lot of stuff that was wrong there. This is a young infant church, and they had all kinds of areas they needed to grow in, without question. You know, new Christians, they, we, we all brought a lot of baggage when we crossed that threshold of the church door. And we, we bring that in. And they didn't drop it at the door the moment they were converted in Antioch. And so they, the, and the church is diverse and as large and as fast growing as Antioch. There, there had to be relational strains and conflicts and things they were working through and issues that they had to deal with. But what stood out to Barnabas, what he could not escape, was the fact that God's grace was at work among these people. And when he saw it, he was glad. So instead of slapping a bunch of Jewish rules and regulations, and you guys get in line and you got to do this and you got to do it this way. No, what does he do? He just rejoices in what God's doing. And, and then he begins to encourage them to be faithful to the Lord. Don't stop. So this is a, this is a church that was, that, was, that was energized by the grace of God. Full of life, full of joy, full of vitality and vibrancy and, and, and love. And, and let me just say for us, the closer you get to legalism, the, the, the more weary you become. The closer you get to Christ and the more you draw upon grace, the more joy there is, the more gladness there will be. And so if there's a profound lack of gladness in your life, I'm not saying this is the only reason. There could be multiple reasons, but it, it may be because you're trying to run on the hamster wheel of some performance-driven um, uh, religion instead of resting upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. As we sang earlier, the, the, the foundation that doesn't move is, and the one on which we build our lives is, is, is God's love for us in Jesus Christ. That's, that's a strong foundation. And the church that God blesses, it's, it, this is what, this is the church culture. It's grace. Fifth, church that God's hand is pleased to rest upon. It demonstrates stick to in the faith. Endurance. Barnabas could see that these new believers needed to grow in their faith. And so what does the son of encouragement do? He begins to encourage, to exhort these new Christians to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And so, we just say steadfastness in the Christian life, it doesn't just happen. No, it, it's a matter of, as he says, resolute purpose. 
And so you can, you can almost hear Barnabas exhorting these, these young believers because God has been so gracious to save you because of all that He's done for you in Jesus Christ. Follow Him. Cling to Him. No matter what hardships you walk through, hold fast to Christ. Abide in Jesus and His teaching. He's the all-sufficient One. He can meet every need that you could ever have. Hold fast to Him. Let God's grace motivate you so that you resolve every day to, to take up your cross, to deny yourself, to take up your cross and to follow after Him. We need, we need plotters in the church. And I'm thankful that we have them. You're a great example to, to me. We need people who just keep pressing forward and in obedience to Christ. Not flashy living, not living from one high to the next and just just sporadic kind of Christian living. No, but faithfulness, steadfastness, resoluteness in, in the faith. Sixth, church that God is pleased to bless. It benefits from spirit-filled leaders who serve as pace setters. Luke says that Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And the Lord used him to strengthen this church. He's a good man. He's a man of integrity. He lives the way he speaks. He practices what he preaches. He's full of the Holy Spirit. This is the source of his goodness. It's the Spirit's work in his life. He's a Spirit-led, Spirit-dependent, Spirit-filled man. And so, he, and he's also a humble man. At some point he realizes, you know, the work in Antioch is really too much. We need help. I need help. There's all these new converts, all these baby Christians that need to be nurtured and need to grow up and need to be taught and there's just so much to be done. And so he leaves Antioch and travels 100 miles to Tarsus to find Saul. And that word that he went to search for him, it's the same word that Mary and Joseph in the, when they're looking for Jesus in Jerusalem, the, the frantic search for the boy Jesus, it's the same word. He went and searching for Saul. I got to have him. Where is he? Where is he? And so he's searching for Saul and then he brings him back to Antioch. Now, just pause. How wonderfully ironic is this? We go, jump back to verse 19 with me. Look up. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution. What persecution? The persecution that Saul started. And so, let's go get him and let's bring him back to Antioch. <laughs> and so, in a weird and providential way, Saul actually unknowingly and unintentionally launched all these people so that the church began in Antioch. And now Barnabas is going to look for this former persecutor and bring him to Antioch to strengthen and shepherd the souls of these people. That's great. And note, though Barnabas, he's not threatened by bringing this gifted, back, gifted man back to Antioch and to share in the work with him. It's not, it's not, he, doesn't, he doesn't take that as a slight. Eventually, he's going to take a backseat to Paul's leadership in the church and all of the missionary labors. You know, now it's Barnabas and Saul. Later it's going to be Paul and Barnabas. Paul's going to be the headliner. He's going to be the opening act. By Acts 14, we see that to be the case. Now, I realize we don't have apostles here. We do have an apostolic teaching. And, and, we, and we need, and we, we have, and we need, and we always will need godly pastors and elders and deacons and and good men who are full of the Holy Spirit and of faith to serve and to shepherd this flock. We need to constantly be training and discipling young men and bringing men along who will love and lead and serve the church. 
not leaving the women behind by any means, but this is always a need the church has. And this is one of the things we're talking about as elders, is the need to constantly be training men and future men. Seventh, the church that God blesses has a, it develops a voracious appetite for the word of God. So Barnabas and Saul, they met with the church for an entire year, the text says, and they taught this group of baby believers. Verse 26, for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. So they're so, they're so given to learning about Christ and learning the, the truth that Christ taught and, and then living out what they learned about Christ. That's very evident because it's, it's here that the text says that they became known as Christians, which was a derogatory name. Uh, but, but they wore that label... Uh, which was Christ-like people. That's kind of the idea for little Christ, but just Christ people. And so, so they're, they're giving themselves so much to the teachings of Christ and to letting it shape the way that they live and think and speak and, and act, then they became known as Christians. So they, they studied, they learned Christ's word, and they obeyed it, and they conformed their lives to it. I mean, just truth needs to be the case for us. Bible teaching isn't simply about informing our brains that's i mean we do it's cognitive we're learning and but it's got to change our lives it's got to change us from the inside out and has changed the way we think what we want our attitudes our desires our ambitions our words our behavior we've we got to be word people but all all the bible teaching and all the studying and all the learning it should make us more christian more christ-like we're evident that we're his people it's got to be the case Lord will bless the church that devotes themselves to that. Eighth, three more. We got this. <laughs> Ten-point sermon. I know some of you, if you knew that, you would be freaking out. Uh, eighth, church of God's hand is upon it. And it exhibits generous and cheerful giving reflexes. So there's this group of prophets that comes to Antioch. One of them named Agabus predicts this coming famine. And so... The response, though, of the church is really remarkable. Look at it in verse 27. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. It doesn't say Barnabas and Saul got together and thought, you know, this would be a good idea for us to do. Let's give to the, to, to the sport. No, it says the Antioch Christians, the disciples, they, they determined to, that this was it. So it's just a spontaneous response from the church, is what it seems, the way it's reported to us, to give to the relief of their brothers in Judea. Now, in the in the bulletin, we're going. To, I'll talk more about this in a moment. We have these response cards, and 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 the reason we're we're doing this, and I'll explain more about it. Is I want us to see that 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 as we're talking about the state of the church and what's going to happen, it's not. I don't think this is your attitude, and I hope it's not. But I don't realize it could be out there. It exists in churches where let me just kind of see what the church is going to do this year. Let's, let me see what's going to happen. And I'll, I'll, I'm interested to watch and see what's going to unfold before my eyes over the coming year. That's not it. It's us. If you're looking, I'm, I don't know who you're looking at, but it must be somebody else if you're waiting to see what's going to happen. I can't do it. And we can't do it. Uh, we, this, is a, this, is a, this is our body. 
And so the, here in this church in Antioch, is, we, we're, we're, we're going to do this. I'm going to commit myself to this. They're responding to what God has spoken and how he's revealed himself and what his plans are, and they're, and they're acting. And, and so this is what it's going to be. I'll talk more about it. But it's us committing ourselves. What, how are we going to be engaged? What am I going to do? What's my role in aligning, keeping us aligned with this mission? Now, but you, again, back in the text, you think about it. Antioch, they could have, the, the famine could have easily come to them just as, as severely as it came to the brothers in Judea. But they, they, they could have thought, you know, we've got to look after our own needs first. And then after we make it through, if there's anything left, we can send that our way. But they, no, they trust God to meet their needs, and they just give generously to others. God will bless a church that sees a brother or sister in Christ or a church in need and quietly, spontaneously, generously, sacrificially, gladly gives to meet that need. That's a good thing. We need a right view of money, church. Right view of stuff. All of it's God's. That's where it begins. And so I, I'm grateful for generous giving. Over the past year, we 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 um, we all of our needs were met and more over the past year and in the last two years, which have been very difficult years for our church in, in other ways, but in both our general fund and our grace promise to support emissions. And so I'm grateful that we've had the opportunity to to bless other churches who've been hit with hurricanes and needs we've given to to those needs we've had opportunities to bless missionaries in special ways with projects and those are good things i'm just saying let, let's not let's not let's pull off on that ninth two more church that god's hand is upon it, it relates closely with other churches it's connected to the previous point you notice what's happening here one group of disciples one church is helping another group of brothers in other churches and so the, the, the family language here is not accidental, it's not insignificant. He's, they're, they're, they, these people are closely connected through their union with Christ, in Christ, to these other churches. And, and, and notice, they didn't just send money with Barnabas and Saul, hey, here's some money, do it what you want. No, they, they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul are simply FedEx. They're just, they're just transporters. They're, this church, these disciples are sending money to the elders of these churches, and that's, that's what's happening. So the, but my point here is simply this. The church at Antioch was not Lone Ranger. They were not an island. They were closely connected with other churches, even distant ones. And I would say there's good encouragement to us. Baraka Bible Church is not to be a loner church. We, we're connected to the larger body of Christ. And if, if, if there's any year we should remember that, it's, it's we've been giving thought to the 500th year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And we see our connectivity with the church, what God has done. And we need other churches, local churches. They need us. We should always be looking for ways to foster closeness and strengthen relationships and, and build connections with other like-minded churches in our area and, and even beyond our area like we've we've done them but we need to continue to do that one of our upcoming carrying dinners I, I have this on my heart to to invite a, a, a local pastor and his wife to come and we can kind of interview them and ask them questions and hear the story of kind of their church and how can we pray for you and then we take time to pray for um, pray for that church and the pastor and his wife and so that's coming up maybe in March but maybe down the road um, anyway, but that's one way I want us to grow in, in this. Ten, last 
unleashes, it unleashes the sheep to care for one another. Again, one, one just final quick thing from verse 30 and, and from verse 25. But the church in Antioch, it wasn't unhealthily dependent upon Barnabas and Saul. So God's Spirit gave these believers, these young believers in the faith, they, He gave them gifts. And so they all had what they needed by God's grace to grow and to build one another up in the faith. When Barnabas and Saul rose to positions of leadership through, through their teaching ministry there over that year, um, the church didn't, didn't, did, it, did not depend on them alone to function. It's not what you see. They, they could send them off on this relief mission, which would have taken a couple of months. You're sending your, your primary teachers and preachers. And they could send them off, and then they keep on growing and going. Hey, we did a version of that this summer. Uh, and not that I'm Paul or Barnabas, don't, don't take that. But uh, this is what we see. And, and later, when the Holy Spirit sets Paul and Barnabas apart for, for missionary work, to be the, for their first missionary journey, it's this church that could send these two key leaders off and keep right on rolling. Because God gave them what they needed. They weren't, as we would say, staff dependent. <laughs> they weren't dependent only on the gifts and work of a few men. Like the, These are the only people that that can teach and can lead us and can make decisions. No, they got the principle of the body. Every single member, every man, woman, young person, is a believer in Christ in the church, is important and is gifted by God for the upbuilding of the body. Everybody's important. Every member is expected to exercise his or her gifts in the ministry to one another. So the, the care for the flock was decentralized. It wasn't like, well, we'll just wait till Paul and Artemis get back. No, we just keep caring for one another, keep teaching keep building one another up if discipleship if care in the church is is dependent solely upon the staff or the elders or the deacons of the church then we're we're always going to be walking with a limp we're going to be restricted on what we can do and where we can go our ministry to one another will be severely limited our the, the church won't be able to really grow past a kind of manageable size that a few people can handle but if every every one of us, everyone of us feels this obligation that we have to care for, disciple one another in the body, the, the church will be built up and will be made strong. So this is this is why we, we it's why we had Ed Welch come and teach that side by side conference and, and I know so many of you are part of that and maybe it's time to blow the dust off of that book and revisit some of those things. But the point of that is we're all Involved in this ministry of walking alongside one another in truth and love and, 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 and discipling one another. It's not just a few folks. I'm grateful to God for our counseling ministry. And honestly, that's a reflection of this truth that these are, these are members of the church, not staff, not or elders or exclusive or anything like that. But these are people that are growing and being trained to add another layer of soul care. But, but all of us have a responsibility to care for one another and to pray for one another and to speak God's truth to one another in love. And so this is, this is the thing that God will bless. Listen, we desperately need to be a church upon whom the Lord's hand is pleased to rest. We need his hand of blessing upon us. We do not have what it takes. Um, therefore, we, we've got to keep charging hard as a congregation. We've got to keep obeying Christ's commission to make disciples of Jesus Christ until he returns. That's going to be the hand. That's going to be the church that God is pleased to bless with His power, and we want to be faithful to that task. But we trust Him for the fruit. So, 
what is the state of the church? I, I think of you know, Kennedy's inauguration speech, my fellow Barakians, or however you say that. Ask not what your church can do for you, but ask what you can do for your church. And this is, again, as you, as you feel to pull out those cards that are in your bulletin, don't get nervous. We're not, you don't have to put your name. We're not asking. This is not a commitment card, a vow, or anything like that. It's not some accountability tool. All I want, and all we want from this, is just to give some thought to how you can be more engaged. I'm not saying you're unengaged, but what, how can you increase your engagement in God's mission over the coming year? And, and so it, it may not be in some formal way, I'm going to take on this position or something like that. It could be something, I want, I want to learn, I want to get to know my neighbors this year. I've lived in that neighborhood 10 years, and I don't know but one or two neighbors. And I want to know people to live around me and build relationships with the hopes that I have open doors to share the gospel. That might be what you write now. You say, we, we, we need to get involved in a small group this year. We need to strengthen relationships within the congregation we need the body. The body needs us. We have gifts that we're not using, and this is a way we can use them. So it may be that. It may be I want to take my ministry of prayer for the flock or for our missionaries to, to another level this year. And so maybe it's that. Or, or hey, I'm, the Lord's put it on my heart. I, I'm, I'm not sure there's anything here, but maybe God wants me to serve cross-culturally as a missionary. And I'm going to, I'm going to follow through with that and begin praying about that and talking to people about what that might look like and what that process would involve. So that may be it. Or maybe it is. I want to, there's ministries, there's needs in this church, and I've been sitting on the sidelines more than I should. I want to be involved and, and help. And there's all kinds of needs that, that we have. And if you, we'll, we'll, we, we're talking about ways we can make those known more. Um, but, it, you know, welcome team, children's ministry, and student ministries, and small groups, and ushers, and all these kinds of things, hospitality. So what I, I want you to do, I want, I'm going to pray, and then I want you to take a minute or two. We're not going to take long, but just just uh, fill these cards out while the, the team's going to come up and get ready to sing in just a moment. Um, again, you don't have to write your name on there. You're welcome to. But when you're done and when the service is over, you can leave the cards in your seat, and we'll just come pick them up. You're welcome to just set them up here on the front row or on the stage. You can put them in the boxes. That's not important. It, again, it's mostly uh, what I hope, two things from this and why we're doing this. One, it's, it's to get all of us thinking about how we can be, again, more engaged and, and more involved. What's my role in disciple-making? How do you want to expand that over the coming year, Lord? And so it's to get think like that. And then secondly, it, it'll help the leadership. It'll help, it'll help us know how God is working in our church. God, God may be putting things on your heart and leading you in ways that we just don't even know yet, and and we want to pray, and we want to encourage that, and we want to support that, and 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 and, and He may be directing us to serve one another and in this community in ways we, we we don't even see, and so it can be helpful to us too. So let me pray, and then take a minute. Uh, Jacqueline will play the piano for a minute or so, and the team will get set, and we'll sing. Father, thank you for um, this local congregation, Father. I'm grateful for the history of this church and for the years of faithfulness to your scriptures and and the desire to be um, ambassadors for Jesus Christ in this direct community and, and around the world. I'm grateful for the reach that you've given us. I'm grateful for the growth that you've enabled us to see. And we just, we pray, Father, that you would help us to to to, to grow more, to go more as a body. And we would not 
we would not relent. We would not ever rest on our laurels and hold back and become apathetic. So, so guard us from that and help us also not to think that we can go on in our own strength and in our own striving and, and engineer this thing by ourselves. No, we need your hand of blessing upon us, Father. We beg you for it. We pray that as we align ourselves to the kind of church that you want us to be and that's aligned with your great commission, that you would be pleased to, to, to bless us, God, with, with uh, mighty working in us and through us, Father. Help, uh, help all of us as we just think through how can we be more meaningfully engaged in this work of disciple-making, uh, that you would give us fresh ways to think and see ourselves and as we, as we put these responses down and, and use this for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.